This episode of Lunch with Legs is proud to sponsor the Mason-Dixie Burlesque Tour, featuring Ula Uberbusen, Deanna Danger, and Hazel Honeysuckle. To learn more about these fabulous ladies and this excellent tour, please check them out online at masondixieburlesque.com. They are currently touring and will be touring through March 8th, so if you are in Houston, Dallas, St. Louis, Lexington, Nashville, or Asheville, please be sure to check them out. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Lunch with Legs. Legs Malone here wishing you all a very warm hello and how the hell are you? It is sunny, although cold again here in Brooklyn. We had an unbelievably warm day yesterday and uh, I can feel the tickles of spring and I like it very, very much. My deepest sympathies to everybody who has had an even colder winter than we have in New York. I hope that it brings a very warm spring and summer that helps this winter become a distant memory soon enough. I am really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. It is a very unique setup in that I was approached by the lovely Whitney and Patty of ArtFCity.com, a fabulous online magazine, and they approached me to interview a fellow burlesque performer for their series entitled Two Experts On. It is a new periodic interview series in which they've asked a maven in a creative field to talk shop in nerdy detail with a fellow specialist. I didn't have to think long and hard before I chose one of my closest friends and a very celebrated performer, both nationally and internationally, the fabulous Peekaboo Point. We had a very strict uh, time deadline to stick to, so you will hear us paying attention to said deadline as well as Peekaboo's timer going off at one point because we had to limit the talk to 30 minutes. We went over by about 10 minutes, but I think that's pretty much okay. A huge thanks to Patty and Whitney for asking us to have this interview, and I will be updating the blog entry on lunchwithlegs.com with the, um, what's the word, transcribed interview once it is up on their website. Again, if you want to check out that website, you can go to artfcity.com. That's A-R-T-F-C-I-T-Y dot com. Before we dive into the episode, I realized I don't often shout out my fabulous producer, David Lawrence Bird, who has approximately 5,000 other jobs and still manages to make this podcast happen. So thank you, Dave. And uh, if everyone can send him some love, his work is invaluable to the existence and creation of this podcast. One last thing before we dive on in. Thank you so much to our supporters who have been donating via the PayPal button on our website. It is thanks to your support that we are able to keep paying the electric bills here at Lunch With Legs HQ. If you feel moved to support the podcast, please go ahead and go to our website, lunchwithlegs.com, and click on the PayPal button in the upper right-hand corner. No donation is too small, and all donations are absolutely and very dearly welcomed. So thank you. All right, everybody, let's do this. Go ahead, pull up your chair, pour yourself a cup of something good, and get ready for my interview with the one and only Peekaboo Point. All right, so we have to answer as many questions as we can and have as in-depth a conversation as we can within 30 minutes. 30 minutes. (laughs) 
can we do this? I think we can do it. I think we can do I this too. Um, Peter Point, how are you, by the way? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, in the spirit of getting straight down to business, uh, we were talking about some of the questions we wanted to go into uh, with this interview. We do have uh, four strong uh, question points, but I think before we dive into those, um, I just want to find out a little bit about uh, how did you get into burlesque? What is your background uh, leading into this art form? Um, my, I started as a classically trained modern dancer. Um, I danced all my life. My mom was a dancer, and I... Eventually, I studied dance all my life and eventually received a BFA in choreography and performance um, and moved to New York soon after and worked for a company and danced a little bit in New York and then ended up finding my way accidentally into burlesque. Um, I'd always been kind of slightly obsessed with the lowbrow art form <laughs> of the, like, I was obsessed with the Russ Meyer and Teresa mm. Tiana as a teenager and like couldn't get enough. I wanted to go to strip clubs and all this stuff. I was totally, it was not an accident that I ended up in burlesque, but it was an accident. <laughs> Quote unquote accident. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think I would be doing it. I just thought I was interested in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and then I ended up in a show and which show was that? This, it was, uh, it was a show at the Boudoir Bar in Brooklyn, which doesn't exist, hasn't existed for a very long time. <laughs> and I did a show with um, with a whole bunch of people, and and it was we were all really new, and um, it was really fun. And then I, from that show, I was asked to do another show and another show, and ended up just falling in love, and really didn't understand what I had gotten myself into. And here you are 13 years later. Yeah. Or 12, 12 years. You started 2003. 2003. Okay. Yeah. We're recording this in February of 2015. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it's been an adventure. And how about you? Uh, my path is very different from yours, although I have been a fan of dance. Uh, I didn't have the balls to pursue it, per se. I studied ballet uh, when I was younger for seven years and I grew up just outside of Manhattan and we moved back in Manhattan when I was nine and I'll never forget going to a tryout at the School of American Ballet because I was at oh, the top yeah. of my class in the tiny village I was living in uh-huh. and uh, I got my ass handed to me that day and my ego got pulverized and I never recovered. I mean, still, you know, in my 37 year old body, I'm like, God, it was the worst day of my life. (laughs) And so as a result, I, uh, pretty much, I mean, I didn't stop dancing right after that, but I think when I was in like sixth grade, I stopped taking ballet because I just, my parents were splitting up and I was I was not confident at all, and I couldn't deal with the um, the discipline aspect of it, but mm. more so the constantly being corrected. Yeah. Because I loved dancing, and I wanted to be told how great I looked, but I was constantly being corrected, huh. and I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, but my whole life, I have been a dancer. Like, if I am at a party, 
and music comes on, I will dance. I mean, I lived in France for two and a half years, and I don't think any of them ever said it per se, but I <laughs> would consistently get sort of like get dancing going at the parties. Like they'd be playing music, they'd be drinking their whiskey and cokes, and you know, doing whatever. Yeah. And then a music, you know, music would come on, and I would just go up. And I didn't want to dance in front of everybody, but I would just go into the corner. Oh dance. yeah. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> And I just, I couldn't ignore it. Yeah, so yeah. fast forwarding to 2005, 2006, it was 2006, um, I was living in London at the time and I had my um, student visa that I had originally been on had expired and I was in the midst of trying to get a working visa. It's a long story, but suffice to say I had to go home for a while to sort of throw the home office off my trail. And while I was home, I went to a meditation retreat at Kripalu up in Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. I had gone to massage school there. And it was sort of the place that had opened up the world of healing arts to me. And so it just felt like a natural place to go to because I was not in a very healthy space in my life at all. And suffice it to say, I had a voice tell me in the middle of a guided meditation to become a burlesque dancer. Huh. And I had no idea what that was. I had every... A bit of hair on my body stands straight on end when it happened. Mm -hmm. I've never had anything like that happen before and never since. Yeah. And I ran home or drove home to my mom's house and got on Google. Uh Uh-huh. And Googled burlesque. (laughs) And my jaw hit the desk when I saw what the pictures were. Um, And it changed my life. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, I won't go into excruciating detail because I know we have a limited amount of time but it was life-changing for me me too I I can my first performance was absolutely life-changing for me as well Mm. I I told her it it was like I don't know I used to hear people talk about um when you're an alcoholic like the alcoholism like fills this hole (laughs) so I know this is a weird... Um, I'm not laughing weird, at alcoholism for the record. Weird relationships, like, mm-hmm. weird uh, we hold this for a second thing to say. Uh, but uh, I felt like the first time I was on stage in a burlesque show, I felt like I was complete. Like, it filled that hole. Yeah. Like, whatever hole that I was missing in modern dance, which I definitely was missing something in that world. Mm-hmm. And burlesque filled it. Mm. Yeah, me. I it can... It's like, I felt at home. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so funny because we have this whole list of questions before us and I'm feeling all of these spontaneous questions oh, like, yeah, totally. automatically coming up. Um, but in the spirit of sticking to the guidelines of the interview, um, as a burlesque performer, what are some of the most common um, things you hear from the audience with regards to feedback um, around how witnessing your performance or witnessing a burlesque show changes something for them or confronts them with something or does something to challenge their perception of what an unclothed female body is to be confronted with that, Mm -hmm. say. I think what I, what I hear overwhelmingly is how you must be so strong Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. I wish I could do that. And that's, I hear that more than anything else is like, I wish I could do that. Um, yeah, I always find that the audiences always seem, I don't know, they seem, 
inspired by the passion behind it, I think, more than anything else about the performance. I agree with you. I feel, I mean, I remember seeing my first handful of burlesque shows when I was living in London. And certainly when I came to New York and got my visual baptism of Julie Atlas Muse, Dirty uh, Martini, World Famous Bob, yeah, and yeah. Murray Hill all yeah, in one show alongside totally. Bridget Everett. And I, I really do feel there is something about burlesque that is absolutely transformative uh-huh. because it doesn't matter what the body looks like when the spirit comes out. It's seeing inside of a personality and, and being, allowing the yourself to be vulnerable and to be seen and within to be that seen vulnerability and, and to have an audience actually see you rather than some, you know, you know, in classical dance, your body, mm-hmm. you are just a body. You're not projecting yourself for the most part. And this is like, it's all soul. Yeah. It's because it's your unique soul. As an artist, <laughs> as an artist, it is, your body is your medium. Yeah. And it is your work. It, it is, is not, you know, in the handful of cases where somebody pays tribute to somebody else, you know, imitating a style or embodying a certain style, but it's when the voice of the artist through the medium of the female body uh-huh. or male body or othered body comes up and announces itself uh-huh. in and a performative context. Add on is top amazing. of that, it's on the revealed body. Yes. It's, it's on, on the, the unap- unapologetic body in the celebratory body. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling we're going to be agreeing with each other a lot. I have a feeling too. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the spirit, again, of sticking to this interview, yes. um, we've come up with a list of four questions slash topics to talk about. Um, and I am going to start with the first one and ask you, Great. what do you feel are the strengths and weaknesses of burlesque as an art form? The strength and weaknesses of burlesque. <laughs> Why I knew this question was coming. Why am I so surprised by it all of a sudden? <laughs> um, oh man. Why I don't know why it's so hard all of a sudden. Okay, well let's answer. break it down. Okay. What so, do you feel are some of the strengths of burlesque as an art form? Um, I think one of the main the main strengths of burlesque is the, the ultimate freedom. Mm. Um, there is so much freedom and power in what we do. I mean, it's like we're given this tiny little guideline. There's like four things that have to happen. Maybe not even four. Let's count them. Yeah, I was going to say break it <laughs> Let's down. Let's count them. So you have, for the most part, four minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Some people go longer. Some people go shorter. But around four minutes, you have four minutes to tell a story evoke a feeling or create magic and slash create a context. Yeah. Um, in four minutes that you leave stage with less clothes on than you (laughs) came on with. And that's it. Mm -hmm. That's those are your only rules. Mm -hmm. You have to leave with less clothes and you have to do it in less than four minutes and you have to create magic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it leaves a lot. There's a lot of space in there. <laughs> it's, it, it will never fail to amaze me how long four minutes 
can be. Uh, totally. I learned that when I first started doing burlesque. There's a, it is. Oh my God. Four minutes can four be minutes torturously can be long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a lot of freedom in that. I mean, you can do anything. You can do anything. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths and maybe one of its weaknesses too, because there is so much freedom in it. I don't know. No, I think it's a strength. Hmm. It's definitely a strength. Okay, then conversely, uh, what do you feel are some of the weaknesses of burlesque as an art form? I'm trying not to get too negative. <laughs> well, I mean, I would. I I am happy to offer up some of the things I feel. Yeah. Is, what do you What do you find was one of the negatives? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily negative, but a weakness in in so far as an absence of strength. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the weaknesses is its cultural non-visibility. Ah, yeah, that's how, I was trying to figure out how to say that. <laughs> I mean, we, we have on our list, we're going to be talking about low art versus high art. I mean, burlesque is fundamentally a low art. Yeah. And a low art form. And I feel that especially within the medium of the unclothed female body, which is so stigmatized, mm. not just in our society, but throughout globally speaking, and has been for millennia, it is a very confronting and oftentimes policed art yeah. form. Yeah. I mean, you look at the burlesque, uh, you know, how LaGuardia shut it down in the 40s yeah, yeah. and saying how burlesque was an art form for morons and perverts. Well, it's dangerous. Uh, very much so because it it's is dangerous. freedom. It's power. It is power. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is the performer's assumption of said and power. feminine power. Which exactly. Which is very dangerous. Absolutely. And has been, uh, I, I feel the quote-unquote patriarchy has been very threatened by that for years. Yeah. Again, millennia. Yeah, for sure. Um, but bringing it back to a more contemporary context, I feel that one of the weaknesses of burlesque as an art form is also that there is an ingrained feeling around you can't make money as a burlesque performer. Yeah. Um, and this is, again, f- as a burlesque performer surveying the scene, mm-hmm. um, there's a saying that I absolutely despise. Oh, God, I know exactly what saying, and I hate it, too. It is uh, the difference between burlesquers and strippers is that strippers make money. and Which is completely not true. Thank you. It is not true. As someone who has stripped and someone who makes their living as a burlesque performer, I make more money now than I did in the strip club. Thank you for saying that because it's so important. I feel it is, it is a myth for that to be that all strippers make money. Yeah. And you can, I did make money as a stripper, but I make slightly more money now as a burlesque performer. And and I and I I find that really um, not helpful to us. No, absolutely. I, f- I find it an incredibly damaging uh, way of thinking because also, I mean, what you say becomes reality. So yeah. when there are a legion of wonderful, worthy performers repeating that mantra, then, like then you're not doing anybody s- any favors, and we're going to get all. stuck in that. Exactly. If you if you say oh. Then venue owners are going to think, oh, well, I can hire a burlesque performer for no money and make thousands of dollars off the door, and I can pay these girls $50. And they'll be willing and to settle for it. And they're so happy to do it because they love what they do. Just because we love what we do 
doesn't mean we shouldn't make a living from it. It actually means the opposite. Yeah. We love what we do. We should be able to make a living. Absolutely. It. And there is no reason why we shouldn't be able to make a nice, comfortable living doing what we're doing. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, I feel like but that... there's a, something I think inherent in us, maybe as I want to say as women, but maybe just as humans, but there's something in, ingrained in us that's like, well, I love doing this and it serves me and it's good for me. So I, it's not profitable mm-hmm. or it's not worth, it's not worthy enough. I would do it for free. Mm-hmm. And so I should do it for free because I don't deserve to get paid for it. Yeah. And I, I think that's touching on a larger, uh, issue of women. Um, I mean, women not feeling worthy. So this is certainly not, uh, for, it doesn't apply to all women, but I do feel in the feminine consciousness, that is something, you know, you look at like pay disparity, even in like fortune 500 companies, women, unfortunately have been forced to take any, you know, take less pay, take less, this settle for less. And those who are brave enough to push back, some of them make it through, some of them don't. And I also want to say like burlesque, Historically, burlesque was a place where women could actually make money. Thank you for saying that. And burlesque was all the legends that I talk to, they don't know that we don't make as much money as them. And they always say, save your money. Yes. Save your money. And they made, that was a way for them to be financially secure. And independent. Independent. Yep. Take care of their families, do something that they love, have a great life, and have a good time doing it. And it was, that's why it's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> to the yeah. patriarchy. <laughs> Very much so. You know, especially. but it's, but it's, so why is it different now? Why, why is it different now? I don't understand. I mean, that's a, that's a big that's question. That's a big question. It's a very big question. <laughs> we don't have time for no, that. No, we don't. We don't. We don't. In fact, Peekaboo's timing this. <laughs> we have 10 more minutes. Oh my God. We better move on. Um, but it, that's a big question. It is. And that's actually something yeah. that in a, in a future episode of my podcast that I would love to even bring it up into a round table. Yeah. But again, yeah. um, moving forward, we have three things here. And in fact, the, our next they question, all go they do the actually, spirit, actually very much so. So the next topic that we've written down is low art versus high art. Mm. Uh, would you like to speak to that? Well, my first thought on that is that um, I mean, burlesque is a low art. It always has been since the dawn of history of burlesque. It's a for those of you who don't know the difference is a it's an art for the common people. It's mm-hmm. a, it's art and for easily accessible. Easily art. accessible. It was for it was basically. <laughs> Some people might get mad at me, but you know, originally burlesque was for everybody. Mm-hmm. It was cheap. The lower class could go and it was, you know, the reality television of, you know, the 1910s. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the, that's the what naked it was. female form is a great draw and it still is. It is. And the comedy was, you know, satirical and body and totally avant-garde. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was making fun of high art. Mm-hmm. It was making fun of culture that they couldn't touch, you know, the high culture, the opera and mm-hmm. rich, rich people. culture. Yeah. With, you know, a very high price tag on a ticket. Yeah. So, um, so in the same thing, like 
burlesque is that now, and it ha- that's one thing that hasn't changed. And I and it is accessible. It's 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 in the bars. It's in the clubs. Um, and I find that there's a lot of freedom as an artist to take chances when you are in a low art. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't. You're not you know, funded by a organization or. You don't have grant money or foundations saying dictating what kind of work you can do. You can really do anything. Yeah, which it which is a freedom, and it's also on the other. It's a completely um, on the other hand. It's a shame that we don't have funding and stuff like that. And I feel that what you just said, I mean, the shame around, you know, not having funding, I do feel that is also unique to us being in America because I started doing burlesque in the UK Absolutely, and the arts council there is so supportive Mm -hmm. and their funding is open to everybody. But you look at how the NEA here in America, National Endowment for the Arts, got gutted because of the naked form. And in that case it was male with Robert Mapplethorpe right. Jesse Helm's wife getting very offended yeah. by seeing that show and yeah. as a result the NEA's funding got wildly slashed and so as a result you know it not only did they lose their funding but I think it has and perhaps this mindset was already in place but I feel that the art how do I say this the art of that that is more challenging Although I find it extremely important and wildly worthy of the public's attention and des- its deservedness of being seen by a wider public, um, it is not viewed as profitable. Right. It is not viewed as commercially successful yeah. by people or entities that would fund that work, yeah. which fundamentally complicates it. it absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, I do feel there is a lot of freedom in it being a low art, Yeah. Uh, but I do dream. I mean, I remember years ago, my background is in arts administration and curating and I, it was years ago, I said, I want to curate a show about burlesque at MoMA. Absolutely. That's absolutely what I do. It's the museum of modern art. Let's make it happen. Yeah. And yes, since then, you know, Bob and Dirty and Julie have all performed there for Exposed, which is a documentary Documentary. around the neo-burlesque scene in New York City. But again, that was a very hand-picked... Again, it's fabulous that it even happened. But now I want the the performative art to be more paid attention to because we are artists. We are artists. And I think that... I think that it... It may not be a convenient art... But it's a good art. It's damn good. <laughs> and 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 like you said, other countries are funding their artists. Like when I was in France, that was that was funded by a lot of the French Arts Council mm-hmm. or what however it works there. It was there was a lot of actual government money going into that tour. And and in Sweden oh I was brought to Sweden and that, that show was you know totally, totally subsidized thing. by the Swedish government and they're like allowed, they want artists to come and it's like, there are huge programs to bring artists, burlesque performers, burlesque artists. There's a tradition, there's a much stronger tradition of supporting the arts in Europe. There is. And, and that's something that I, I get very jealous of the European art support. Um, 
But I think it, I think it can happen here. I think it just has to, like everything else in burlesque, has to be a revolutionary statement. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> because I think that it it could do well on a high art stage. Oh, it would, and then it would it would transform it into something so much bigger, and it would be not you know it's great in the clubs, but when you see what's happening in the clubs happen on a on a stage in a high, it totally changes the context. Mm-hmm. I completely and agree. the work the work changes. I completely agree. It actually uh, feeds in very well to our next topic, um, given the subject of money. Mm. Um, the next topic that we wrote down is simply the hustle. The hustle. <laughs> that infamous hustle that the we all hustle. have to do. I mean, I remember when I started doing burlesque full-time, I had to get several other jobs. I was bartending during the day. I was temping. I was doing massage. I was doing Reiki. I was gigging. And I was pretty much picking up any other work that I could do. And as a result, was working seven days a week consistently uh-huh. uh, with no break, but uh-huh. it wasn't an option. I had yeah. to show up to work because how else was I going to keep a roof over my head? How else yeah. was I going to be able to afford not only my bills, but my food, much less a brand new costume. Right. Can you, can, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about your, maybe we should, maybe we should both go through Maybe the evolution of our hustle. The evolution of the hustle. <laughs> I like that. Because I want to hear your evolution of the hustle. Sure, sure, sure. Um, sure. Mine started, I mean, when I started out, I didn't know I was going to be a performer. So I was working full-time in retail. So I had a full-time job. Then I started performing. I started performing enough to have two full-time jobs. So I was working during the day, performing at night, and I think... I think my record was three months without a day off <gasps> at that time. Whoa. Whoa is right. <laughs> I mean, you are a Capricorn, but come on. I mean, on. I am a Capricorn, and I was, I was real, <laughs> real excited. But I was happy to perform, and at that time, it, performing was a hobby slash side job. Um, and then as it transitioned, I ended up um, deciding that I wanted to be a full-time performer or to make the attempt. And everyone around me said, you're insane. Nobody can do that. Nobody can do it. And I was like, no, I think I can. I think I can do it. So I quit my job in retail. I got certified in Pilates so that I could have a a really flexible job to allow me to do what I needed to do. And then got certified in Pilates, began teaching classes doing every gig that I could, and I'm talking, like, every gig, like, where you show up as a table (laughs) and serve crudite (laughs) to rich people. I mean, it's just like, we need a fan dancer to stand at the door like a statue. Okay, here, wear this mask and run around the room real quick, and that's, you know, so I was taking any gig possible. Um, do a can-can dressed like an elf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. If you supply the elf hat, I'm there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything. And, um, and then I started learning how to produce shows. So I was producing show and then making pasties and making costumes. And that's, that's our 30 minute time. It's okay. But we've been laughing gonna, a lot. We're we going to keep going. We're going to go. Um, 
Yeah, and then it just, it's like picking up every single, single job you possibly can. Um, and then I decided I wanted to figure out what it was like to be a stripper. So then I, I got a job two nights a week as a, at a strip club. And then, yeah, what, I don't even know how the hustle happens. Getting, taking everything. You mm-hmm. just don't say no. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as no yeah. in your vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And now, right now my hustle is I make pasties for one of the venues that I work for, which means I call it my sweatshop. So I'm in my sweatshop during the day. Um, I teach classes. Um, I teach bachelorette parties. I do every gig that I possibly can. I'm considering giving... Um, tarot readings in my apartment. Awesome. <laughs> um, I teach private lessons and I do a lot of teaching and I tour. That's the hustle. And I, I still that. don't say no. I was just about to say, and, and, and how is it going regarding making ends meet within that? It's way better. Every year gets a little bit better and I don't know how because the rates for performances hasn't gone up oh, in the 10 years. I still make exactly the same for a performance that I did 10 years ago. Wow. Across the board. And you do too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's not, I don't know how, but every year it gets a little bit better and every year it gets a little stable, more stable, but it does that, that sense of anxiety of, am I going to have money next month? Mm-hmm. Never goes away. I think that's a profoundly, uh, I mean, what you just said is a profoundly unique, well, maybe it's not that unique, but it is profoundly universal feeling for artists. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the Joan Rivers documentary. I'm yes, still here. totally. That's when she says that. Yeah. She's like, I turn the page in my calendar and I see blank pages and I freak out. That's, I freak out too. You know, even in her early seventies, yeah. she was still saying that. Yeah. And I think that's a fundamental attribute of a performative lifestyle. It is like, Oh my God, when's the next gig? Oh my God, when's the next gig? It's not like we can show up to the office and be like, I'm doing five gigs today. I'll be getting X amount of money and then I'll come back tomorrow and I'll do that. and I'll do that. Yeah, no, it it is. And we don't have contracts in this, in this type of performance. It's not like somebody's like, Oh, I'm going to put you under contract. You're here for a year. You're going to make X amount of dollars for a week. We don't have that. It's like, Oh, can you do this thing in this place? And, for this party, for this guy, or, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all, all that. Yeah, totally. What is your hustle? My hustle has What's changed the evolution? considerably. It's such a great question. My God, the evolution of the hustle. I mean, I got, I sort of, I don't know if I would say, I involuntarily became a full-time burlesque performer um, when I moved back to Manhattan after living in London I got a job working in an art gallery because um, my background is in arts administration. And I, so I got a job working as a studio manager in an art gallery and I was miserable, but I needed a day job and it paid crap. It paid so poorly, but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the midst of moving, getting ready to move when I was let go from that job. And was confronted with the very real possibility of just doing burlesque full time, which to me was a very exciting prospect, mm-hmm. but extremely daunting because 
my cost of living quadrupled overnight moving. And I was living on my own for the first time in years and was thus responsible for the biggest bills I've ever had to pay. And so I, I mean, it's funny. I I think back to when I was in elementary school, my second grade teacher's daughter, this is so random. My second grade teacher's daughter went to Thailand for two months. She didn't speak a word of the language. She came home fluent Mm. because, and she came and spoke to us at our assembly one day. And she said, there is something about being thrown into a situation where it's sink or swim and Mm. sinking is not an option. That's, that's exactly Exactly it. When I quit my day job, that's exactly how I felt. It's sink or swim, but you I can't always, sink. <laughs> I always felt like I, I always, I said this once in an interview, quitting my day job and going full-time burlesque was like jumping off a cliff without a parachute, trusting that someone's going to catch you. Yeah, totally. But not being able to see the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's totally terrifying. terrifying. And it's highly ill-advised. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do not recommend doing that, people. <laughs> Um, but I have to say, I mean, when I did do that, I mean, that's when I said, okay, what can I do? So I bartended, I was a day bartender, uh, picking up as many gigs as I could again, doing the, like, not necessarily a walking table, but like, oh, you need a Mardi Gras showgirl for this party or, oh, you're wildly wealthy and you need someone to hold fans at your husband's 60th birthday party at your mansion in Long Island. Like, all right, I can do that. Uh Um, I was temping because my background is in administration. Uh, I mean, arts administration, but I worked a lot in an admin capacity. So I had been a personal assistant. I had been somebody who helped make an office run and I had been in a managerial capacity at my job in London. So I could, I had that office know-how. So I got tons of temp jobs, but it wasn't consistent and I never knew when it was going to come. I'd yeah. get a call. I'd be like, are you free next week? And if I got something, I got it. If I couldn't, I didn't. Um, that evolved into, um, God, it's been so long. It's hard to remember it all. But basically now, I mean, I'll fast forward to now because I'm just drawing a complete blank on the last I know, you know, I did too. eight years. It's like, <laughs> what did I do? I know I'm still here, so I clearly did something right. Um, now what I do... I mean, I gig as much as I can. I Again, I don't say no to a gig unless the money is offensively low. Right. Uh, and then absolutely not. I Again, I learned to value myself yeah, as a performer. Me too. And so if somebody says, oh, yeah, we're only going to pay you X amount, if that's not meeting my minimum, and I have to say speaking around minimums, I was terrified to institute that minimum. Me because too. I was so scared of the rejection and being like, well, if I set that, I'm not going to work again. because I. But in reality, the low-paying gigs go away, and I now set my price, and I am able to attract in what I need. Mind you, of course, I would love to be working twice as much as I am. Right. But again, I'm getting by. Uh, I also I got certified in a dance and meditation modality, and I was teaching that. I mean, that's been three years now, almost three years. And I've been teaching that, and I developed a whole other class. So I'm teaching at a yoga studio. I'm uh, I don't I no longer do massage, but I do Reiki. I do something called rebirthing. So I see private clients in my house. Um, I do coaching. I do I do private classes. I produce a show, and I'll produce one-off shows every now and again. Uh, I teach uh, both. Uh, sort of internationally as well as nationally. I 
with my background in healing arts, I developed a class for BurleyCon, gosh, four years ago. And actually, no, yeah, this fall it'll be five years. Unbelievable um, class. Cr- thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Called Healing Your Relationship with Your Body. Which, it's a beautiful class. Thank you. I, I love teaching that class, and I for do anyone, want to. For anyone, just in life. <laughs> well, I, I like to say the only requirement for that class is that you have a body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm really wanting to focus more on that. But it is, again, it all comes down to the hustle. I mean, this fall was brutal for me and it's like all right springtime new year chinese new year let's do this and Mm -hmm. so like exactly as you said it doesn't stop yeah it doesn't stop um in the interest kind of have to well yes eventually no no no, i mean oh yeah the interview wise how many we're at 36 minutes right now almost 37 okay um so let's go ahead and touch on the last thing and my apologies to those who have to transcribe this interview um tips and tricks of the burlesque world of being a burlesque dancer uh what are a handful of tips and or tricks you did Mm. share one around making a boa that Mm. i am totally taking notes on totally (laughs) uh you take a old i actually think i'd take an old pair of opaque tights like winter tights and uh you stuff them with polyfill and you sew up the top and then you make yourself a little long thin pillow and then you sew your feather boas on top of it. It makes your boas In like a thicker. spiral? Or no, just line? straight lines. It makes a big, fat, juicy boa slash pillow. <laughs> <laughs> For your cats to enjoy. <laughs> or not. Yeah. Because um, it makes those, uh, those feathers are expensive. So it just mm-hmm. like, it makes it thicker. It makes it look richer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one of my tips. Um, I guess a tip that I'll offer is one that both one of my first burlesque teachers, Joe King in London said, as well as dirty martini here in New York said, uh, wear sensible shoes. Mm. Don't wear shoes that you can't walk in because if you can't walk in them, you certainly cannot dance in them. And on that tip, if you are going to wear shoes on stage, make sure you've danced in them before. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Do not don't think. don't surprise yourself. Yes, yeah. Do not. <laughs> the stage is not a place to try things out. If no. you need to try things out, use your home or rent a studio. Right. Although we've all tried things out. On stage. Absolutely. We're, we're speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> do as we say, not as we do. Exactly. Um, one thing that I learned from Amber Ray because I worked in her flower factory uh-huh. for a while is if you are uh, zhuzhing up a costume and you're wanting to rhinestone things, to mix up the rhinestones. Yes. So use acrylic, use glass, use preciosa, blah, preciosa and Swarovski because yeah. it allows the depth of the light and the play of the light to become a lot richer. Yeah, it does. I learned that from her too. Mm-hmm. And to mix the colors and sizes as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Totally. Which is something else that Catherine Delish does, yeah. although she uses solely Swarovskis. Yeah. Well, she also works for Dita. That too. And other very fancy clothes. Well, of course. Sure. Uh, there, was a, there was something else I just thought of. Um, pay attention to the legends. Pay attention to the legends. Listen and, to them. And learn from them. Learn your history. Yes. Learn your history. Learn your history. Learn it. <laughs> 
Because without those old dames, we would not be here doing what we do now. Yeah. And they faced and down take them some out to serious dinner. stuff. Yes. Take, take a legend out to dinner. That's and my biggest tip. Take a legend out to dinner and just listen. Yes. And for those of you who don't know what a legend is, a legend is a performer who did burlesque in the quote-unquote golden age of burlesque or just before the whole resurgence of the neo-burlesque scene. So we're talking about people who performed in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And 70s. I would, and 70s, yeah. absolutely, because it was still around yeah. then. Satan's Angel stopped performing in like 1983 or something. Wow. Wow. Yeah, uh, because we cannot create the future if we don't know our history. Yep. Is there anything else? Any other tips or tricks before we go? It's kind of a nice way to end it. It is a nice way to end it. Um, Peekaboo Point, thank you so much for taking time. Thank you so much, Legs Malone. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Always. And there you have it, folks. My excellent and very uh, condensed conversation with Peekaboo Point. I was so inspired by the how do I say, the density of the questions having to stick to such a time frame that I have a feeling we're going to be bringing you a similar format in a future episode, hopefully with more people than just the wonderful Peekaboo Point. To learn more about Peekaboo, you can go to her website, peekaboopoint.com. And again, thanks so much to Patty and Whitney at Art F City for asking us to do this interview. Go ahead and check out artfcity.com to see the other uh, interviews they did in this series, Two Experts On. And again, I will be updating our blog at lunchwithlegs.com once the transcript is made available. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great week, and take care of you. Bye. <laughs>